0: As we've done over the last couple of weeks, we're gonna post, we're gonna put up on the screens what, and it's actually also there on your, your guide. You can take notes today, but you can text your question here. Now, listen, I want to lay down some guidelines here. We are going to go back and answer some questions that were submitted over the last couple weeks, as well as some questions that are submitted today. And uh, and I'm going to uh, I may uh, give it a little extra time tonight uh, to uh, answer a few more questions than than we answered uh, last week. I know last week we just focused on the one question. Um, so what that means is is that the topic that I'm going to start out with evolution and creation in this discussion, which is a big discussion uh, amongst people, um, we're going to start out with that conversation. I'm going to talk about that for about ten minutes. So we're going to jump. Into other questions now just so you know in order for me to talk about that for 10 minutes It is not going to be exhaustive. It is not going to Answer every question there is to answer but I assure you that there are answers to uh, Most of the questions that you have and I would love to talk to you about this I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff I listen, uh, consistently and constantly to hours of debates and I read constant articles and all this kind of stuff I have degrees in this stuff. This is my passion Uh, i'm very passionate about this kind of stuff And so I would love to talk to you about it offline And, uh, you know, if you want to discuss, you know, quantum mechanics or, you know, uh Uh, the fossil record or Just all kinds of fun little things like that that I like to talk about Um, we can have those conversations Uh later because i'm not going to be able to hit all those things But I do want to start out by saying this and I want to read this and I want here here is here is my uh, here is my my hope My hope in this entire series is that you would think That you would think that you would open your brain. That you wouldn't just believe something because your parents tell you or your teacher tells you or your professor tells you or a friend tells you or your pastor tells you. But that you would open your minds and you would open your hearts and you would see that there are things that just don't make sense without God in the equation. And that you would begin to explore that, investigate that, study that yourself. I'm a natural skeptic and cynic myself. I was agnostic slash atheist, more agnostic than atheist when I was in high school. I was not a believer in Jesus. It wasn't until I was a senior in high school that I had an encounter with God that was so real as if you, as real as it is in me being in front of you right now. It changed my life forever. I can't explain it other than that. And I've been on the pursuit to chase after and know more about who this God is over the last 15 years of my life uh, since i've given my life to christ and it has been the most incredible amazing journey that i've ever been on and i want to challenge you and encourage you to investigate yourself to open your brain don't believe what somebody tells you but do the investigation for yourself because there are things within our culture that are said that just frankly are not true and if you hear that Voice enough times, and you never hear the other side of it. You start thinking, "Hold on a second, maybe I am wrong in what I think, and this is what is right." And so, my hope is is that I will give you the other side to some of these conversations. Like, for example, in the evolution and creation conversation, um, a 2011 study by Barna Group, who basically does uh, studies on everything, um, and uh, they're one of the the renowned static. Uh, stats type uh, organizations the barner group uh came out with a study in 2011 on why 60 percent listen 60 percent of young christians disconnect from the church after the age of 15 it shows that nearly a quarter of those former believers say it is because the church is anti-science you probably won't be shocked to learn that this, is the assertion, this assertion is reinforced and spread by various atheist organizations. For example, in a recent article describing the 2011 ad campaign, American Humanist Association exec, executive Roy Speckhard said, Humanists get their knowledge from science rather than from ancient text and divine revelation. Before we go any further, let's have this conversation. When I talk to people who are atheists, who are agnostic, people who don't believe in God, people who are just like me, they make this assertion that it is either science or God. And if I have to choose between science or God and I'm standing in front of the scientist, then the scientist is saying it is intellectual suicide in order for you to maintain faith and belief in this creator God, but also maintain that science is reliable and valid. And I'm here to tell you that that is a lie. That's a lie. The church is not anti-science. In fact, I'm not anti-science. It is one of my favorite subjects. It is my second favorite subject behind math. Yes. I I love science. I love to study science. I'm not even in school, I'm not even in school, and I study science at least once a week. I'm reading some article on science, I'm reading some book on science, I'm reading something on science. I love science. I love everything about it, and as a believer, you do not have to be anti-science. In fact, I would submit to you that some of the greatest scientific minds in the world were followers of Jesus and believers in God. That's just true. You will not hear that from your evolutionary, secular humanist, atheistic teacher, but that's the truth. In fact, let me just give you a few names. Copernicus, a believer in God. Galileo. Galileo is considered the father of modern observatory anatomy, the father of modern physics, the father of science, and the father of modern, modern science. This guy is a genius. Believer in God. Isaac Newton considered the greatest scientist to ever walk on the face of the earth. A devout follower of Jesus and believer in the creator. Johannes Kepler. And I can go on and on and on. Even the modern day guys that are at the top of the list in the scientific community like Francis Collins, who basically spent 10 years of his life in a thing called the Human Genome Project to write the code of DNA, which the research on it is unbelievable and awesome. And if you're a nerd, you should read it. Um, read some of it. Uh, Francis Collins is, Collins is a devout follower of Jesus and a believer in God and says that DNA points to a creator. A study was done by Alistair McGrath because assertions were made uh, assertions were made by uh, Richard Dawkins, who is considered uh, one of the top atheists in the world, not because he's the smartest atheist in the world, uh, but because he's the most aggressive at pursuing this, this idea uh, that if you are a believer in a God, you have committed intellectual suicide, The evolution, atheistic evolution, is the only way to think in the academic world. And so Alistair McGrath wrote a book after... Uh, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion. Alistair, Alistair McGrath wrote a book called The Dawkins Delusion and basically refuted what Richard Dawkins said in his book, The God Delusion. And one of the things that he mentions in there is that uh, research was done on scientists in the uh, – is there like a, something on my mic? Like I hear buzzing. Do you all hear that? No. All right. Yeah, anyways. You hear it? Yeah, there's something like buzzing or something. It's a little weird. Anyways. And so, Alistair McGrath, Alistair McGrath in, 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 this, in his book talks about how they did a study of scientists, and what they found is that, that half of scientists in the world believe in God. Half believe in God. Albert Einstein said this When being confronted with the stark reality that the universe did indeed have a beginning, Albert Einstein said, I want to know how God created this world, and I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. These are some of the most intellectual people that have ever walked on the face of the planet. Albert Einstein was a staunch opponent of, of Charles Darwin. He writes a lot about it. He thought evolution was foolish. Now, it's not, my, it's not my place to come up here and tell you what I think is foolish and all this kind of stuff, but what I would say is, is that to say that it's academic suicide to believe in God is just ludicrous. And insane and it doesn't is not even backed up by the evidence that we have available to us so science to be to be a scientist to be or to be a believer doesn't mean that you have to reject science in fact uh as alistair mcgrath said as a scientist and an oxford scholar it was that through science that he found faith and that science now validates his faith and now he's a professor um in at uh at uh, oxford university So, I'll put this down. Science is great, but scientism isn't. Scientism is a philosophy, really a faith, that says that we should only believe what can be scientifically proven. Therefore, since you cannot put God under a microscope, well, he's out. The problem is that you cannot put evolution under a microscope either. The whole idea of evolution is that it was... was, uh, all of these changes over millions and billions of years of unexplained accidents that have led us from a one-celled organism are or actually non-life to a one-celled organism to, to mankind. The whole idea of evolution is that it cannot be observed because it happens over time. Therefore, I w- that's the reason it's called the evolutionary theory. And I would say if you study scientific theory, I don't even think it's a theory. But it's not evolutionary law. Like, we can prove the law of gravity. We can prove the law of thermodynamics. But you cannot prove evolution because it cannot be observed in science under a microscope. The same way you can't observe God under a microscope. In other words, it takes just as much faith or more faith to believe in evolution than it does God. This isn't a case closed. Everyone is in agreement that evolution has happened and this is how things happen. And so this is where we're at. And this is a key point for you to know they're gaping holes in evolution one uh there are zero transitional fossils we do not have like half lizard half frogs we do not have transitional fossils in the fossil record in fact go wikipedia transitional fossils you'll see like animations or drawings of them because it's just not in the fossil record they just don't exist Not only do we not have the the transitional fossils, but there is no no credible explanations or science behind how non-life became life. How do you take something that is non-living and it become alive? There's no explanation for it. How does matter all of a sudden come into existence? None of these things evolution has an answer for, other than things like, well, There was this big explosion, and the earth came out of it. And many scientists reject that theory even now. So the truth is, there must be something more. An intelligent designer. A God. In fact, any time you see anything that has any complexity to it, you know that someone had to have put it together. It's the law of irreducible complexity. It's one of the the evidence for the fact that there is God. What that basically means is this, is is that things that are complex just can't come out of nothing. When I pull out my cell phone, and if my cell phone was just laying on the ground over there, you wouldn't walk by that and go, man, that just appeared. That made itself. Of course you wouldn't. Somebody had to have put it together intricately put it together in fact I got a little video for you I want to show you real quick just a little 50 second thing just to to show you kind of what I mean You get the point. See, here's the thing: complex things have to have a designer behind it. And we even think about a cell. Darwin's understanding of a cell was very uh very small. He didn't have the technologies available to him in his time to be able to study it the way we can today. What we know about a cell, one cell, is that it is it is like a supercomputer. It sends information. It receives information. I mean, a cell is unbelievable. And your body is made up of 10 trillion cells. 10 trillion. Incredibly complex. Incredibly complex. Not only is is it... Complex is irreducibly complex, but it's specifically complex. Um, specified complexity means this: this means that organisms, uh, whatever are complex, um, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting out a couple illustrations here because for sake of time, they're specifically complex. Like for example, DNA, as we mentioned earlier. Living things can similarly be characterized, especially like the patterns in DNA. DNA is so complex yet so specific that each one of us has their own DNA. Their sequence of molecular sequence, just, uh, the, se- the sequence of molecular sequences that fit just us. Uh, Yachli, who is, a, um, who is a, uh, an atheist, he says this. DNA is mathematically identical to language. Here's the question. When has a language ever arisen without intelligent calls? We have 600,000 pages of digital information on one strand of DNA. 600,000 pages on one strand of DNA. The complexity of this is is unbelievable. And then the third uh, argument, this is the last one I'm going to talk about, is a finely tuned universe. A finely tuned universe that, that our world that we live in sets just the right distance from the sun. That if we were any closer to the sun, we would all burn up. If we were any further away, we would all freeze to death. This is the reason life on any other planet is pretty much not possible. We know that if gravity was changed at just a fraction, one way or another, life could not exist here the axis of the earth would change just a little bit, we would not be able to survive. That everything has been put in place in a strategic way to where it only makes sense that a God could have put it, an intelligent designer could have put it together. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all throughout Scripture, the Bible shows us and teaches us that God created, that this was his idea, and he put this stuff together. You say, well, what about this billions and billions of years and millions and millions of years? Is the earth really that old? You know, I just just don't think so. People say, well, what about dating and what about this one? Listen. Listen. God created a full-grown man. He created a man with age. He didn't create a baby. God created a world with age. God created trees. He didn't create saplings. God created the earth. And God placed Adam and Eve in a garden. And people say, well, all this, Adam and Eve aren't real people. Listen, if Adam and Eve aren't real people, you might as well throw the Bible out because Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. In fact, we can point to original sin with Adam and Eve where sin entered the world, and we see this correlation in Romans with how death entered the world through the one man, Adam, and how life and salvation entered through the one man, Jesus, and this comparison of Adam and Jesus. If you take out the story of Adam and Eve, then you have compromised the entire Bible. So God either created Adam and Eve or you came from a monkey, but both of those things didn't happen. It's all the time I got for evolution, but we'll talk more about it later. Because we can talk, because I can talk about it all day. Seriously. I apologize. Get on my soapbox. Here we go. I don't apologize. Never apologize for truth. Here we go. Let's get some questions that you guys have been sending in, and let's let's hammer them out. I cannot. Is the mic on?
1: It's going Could God, do you think that God could have used the Big Bang Theory to start the,
0: the universe. universe? Could God, could God have used the Big Bang Theory to start the universe? Well, first, let me say this. Most scientists today do not believe in the Big Bang Theory. They just don't. Like, they, it's, 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 it's pretty much already ran its course. This is what's happened, though. Most of your teachers went to college and got all their studying and information 10, 15, 20 years ago, and now new information's come out. This is the here here's the here is the thing. I love science, but here's the thing about science. We don't know everything there is to know about science. See, when I was in high school, the smallest molecule, the smallest particle that, that was out is is an atom. It was an atom. And so we learned about how atom is the sm- an atom is the smallest particle. Man, now there are subatomic particles that we know about because as technology has grown, science has changed. Like things in science change all the time because new science refutes old science. You know what I mean? So new science refutes old science. The problem is, is that if you learn something 20 years ago and you quit learning and you don't know the new science that's refuted old science, then you buy into the old science and you keep teaching people the old science and they go, oh, okay, well, I'm don't really. i not really going to study that on my own. I guess this guy's right. He's smarter than me. He's got more degrees than me, so I'm going to believe him. And so what I would say is, is that the answer is no. God created man. God created Adam and Eve. God placed them in a garden. The Bible tells us clearly that. God created the animals. God created, I mean, he. it's a walkthrough in Genesis chapter 1 of how God created everything. And uh, so, you know, it's like, the, it's like the old pastor used to say, yeah, God said bang and it was all here. That's how it there happened. You, you know what I'm saying? Does God view all sin as equal? Does God view all sin as equal? That's a great question. God views all sin as equal in the sense that all sin separates you from God. And what I mean by that is this, is that. Whether you like lie or whether you murder someone, all sin is equal, and that the smallest white lie or murder are all a transgression against God and no sin can be in the presence of God no matter how small or how big. Therefore, none of that can be in the presence of God so you were separated from God and God provided a way through Jesus so that all sin, no matter how big or small, could be reconciled through the blood of Jesus so that you can have a relationship with God again. God provided a way for that. But there are some sins or there are sins that carry greater consequences. So I would say that sin is not all sin is not equal in the consequences that they carry. Saying a little white lie is gonna get you like grounded for like from TV for a day, right? Murdering somebody is gonna get you in prison for the rest of your life. You see what I'm saying? The consequences for sin are different. And I would say that, that Jesus even puts, a, uh, puts some categories on sin. He says that there's even an unpardonable sin that cannot be forgiven, right? He says there is this unpardonable sin. And uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And when you break that down, basically what that what that what I believe that means is unbelief. That the unpardonable sin is unbelief. That God cannot save someone who chooses not to believe in him. If you choose to reject him, he cannot save you because you've chosen your own path. Does that make sense? And so that's that what I would sense. say when it comes to that.
1: Is cursing a sin if you don't use
0: God's name in vain? Is cursing a sin... If you don't use God's name in vain, <sighs> well, for all of you, if you have that problem, which I can imagine that most of you in this room struggle with that, as I did, and 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 occasionally, you know, uh, and occasionally um, when my baby's crying at like three o'clock in the morning and wakes me up, I still no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, what I would say is this: is that Read James chapter 3. James chapter 3 addresses this pretty pretty directly. It talks about how powerful the tongue is. It talks about how the tongue makes great busts, all this kind of stuff. And then it addresses cursing, and it says this. It says, how can praise and cursing come from the same mouth? How can praise and cursing come from the same mouth? In Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 19, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is uplifting, that builds up and edifies the body of Christ. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So I would say yes. And I would say, what is the, like, what is the purpose of it? Like, typically, if you're cursing, it is to, like, put down or to clown somebody or to whatever. Like, it's, it's typically not meant to be in, like, a, you know, hey, I'm happy. Boop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, like, I love you very much. You son of a, you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't I, make sense. I got you. So.
1: Does the Bible say anything about gaining someone's trust back? Let me give you an example. Yeah. My parents caught me with weed, and they no longer
0: trust me. What do I do? Okay, that's great. The first thing you need to do is stop smoking weed. <laughs> we talked about that two weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that conversation. I also posted some on my Facebook and on our on our Twitter. So if you want to check that out on marijuana, and because somebody asked if it was harmful, and I explained all the stuff on that and all the research, which is pretty astounding, uh, on that. Uh, but anyways, um, uh, what I would say is this: is that is that forgiveness, forgiveness is required, forgetting and trusting is not. And what I mean by that is this: is that if Coy comes over, or, no, nah, I'm going to change that up because I, I don't make it. Look. If I went home tomorrow and I punched my wife in the face. All right, Ray Rice. What's wrong with that? See, all of you are moral people. This is proof there's a God because you believe there's an evil. Something that science cannot prove. But it exists. Anyways, sorry. Sorry. Uh, I punch my wife in the face. Next day, I come home. I punch her in the face again. And I, like, oh baby, oh baby, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me, baby? Will you please forgive me? And she's like, she's like, what are you talking about? Forgive me. And so the next day, I come in and she's walking around and she's got a helmet on her head. And I'm like, baby, why are you wearing a helmet? Because I don't want you to hit me in the face. But honey, do you not trust me? No, I don't trust you. You've punched me in the face two days in a row. Why would I trust that you're not going to punch me in the face today? Like my wife would be responding in a way that any normal human being would respond to a situation where someone has lost trust. So this is what I would say. What I would say is this, is that you then have the responsibility to show your parents that you can be trusted again. When trust has been broken, when trust has been lost, you have to show your parents or whoever that broken relationship with is that you can be trusted again. And that doesn't mean that you're going to get that overnight. You need to get forgiveness overnight, but that doesn't mean forgetting. God forgives and forgets. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we forgive and forget, we, we don't forget. And sometimes healing takes time. And so that's a big question. And that's something when you talk about relationships that we all deal with and, and that conflict happens at times. Yeah, go ahead.
1: We talked about how God loves marriage, but
0: what if I don't have any interest in getting married? Perfect. Jesus didn't get married and Paul didn't get married. And Paul even says that if you, if you uh, decide not to get married, man, that's an honorable thing. That's an honorable thing. Now, obviously by you saying that you're not going to get married is you saying that you know you're not going to participate in the fruits that come with being married uh, and that's that's your that's up to you like i'm not strong enough for that you might be uh, i'm not like i just can't handle it you know like i you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. What?
0: How do I, how do I address Christians? On, yeah, and let me say this. Marriage, this is the thing. Like, like salvation, and I'm not comparing marriage and salvation, but, but I am saying this. Marriage is a gift to us. Just like sex is a gift to us, just like all these things are, and listen, sex can be abused, marriage can be abused, all those things can be abused, and they can be unhealthy and done in unhealthy ways, even among Christians and godly people, and it happens all the time. It happens all the time. So you got to honor God in sex, you got to honor God in marriage, and if you choose to be single, there's nothing wrong with being single. But if that means that you're trying to be a player and hook up with every girl around and all this kind of stuff, I'm just telling you there's going to be consequences for that. And uh, it's not going to honor God, and I would not recommend that for your life. And, uh, And I would say that if you're a follower of Jesus, that would not be something that would be a desire of your heart anyway because you would have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in you telling you that that's probably not a good idea for you.
1: How do I address Christians who are being judgmental without looking like I'm advocating sin?
0: You know, here's the thing, man. Nothing makes me madder than Christians that are judgmental. Um, uh, and I would say this. I would say, I would say you address Christians differently than you address non-Christians. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, and they do not see the truth of the gospel. So here's the deal. They're blind to the truth of the gospel. So when, like, if my buddy over here is doing something that, like, I don't agree with because it doesn't agree with the Bible, whatever, I'm not like, hey, bro, you need to stop doing that. Like, hey, bro, you need to stop getting drunk. Hey, bro, you need to stop getting high. Hey, bro, you need to stop sleeping with your girlfriend. Here's the deal. What's the point? He needs to get his life right with God and then let the spirit of God work in him and work him to that. So what I would say is is that for judgmental Christians though there is a there is a I mean the scripture lays out Matthew chapter 18. You know if you have an issue with a brother or sister you go to that person you have a conversation with them and you say hey listen man I just feel like I feel like you're being a little judgmental of the people around here and as your brother or sister in Christ I want to help you walk through this. I want to help you walk through this. Like as it is your responsibility as believers for us to keep each other in check. And, and you can't say as a believer, well, you stop judging me. You know what I mean? If my wife comes to me and says, Derek, you know, I don't, really like when you, I don't really like when you leave your socks out on the floor in the bedroom and you don't ever pick up after yourself. And I said, you need to stop judging me. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we're like, people are judging me and they're not really judging you. They're just telling you the truth. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you're mean spirited and unkind. Stop judging me. No, no, no. You stop being mean spirited and unkind. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, as believers, we can go to each other in love, in care for them, and say, hey, man, I'm going to pull you aside privately. And I want us to have this conversation. And I want to help you walk through this thing. And so rebuke that, and that. Rebuke and encourage. What's that? Yeah, rebuke and encourage. That's good. Yep. That's right. Mm. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. How do do you break an addiction? How do you you what? How do you break an addiction? How do you break an addiction? That's a great, how do you break an addiction is a great question. And and let me say this. When you talk about breaking an addiction, one thing is we're going to address that over the next four weeks in our next series on spiritual warfare. It's going to be called Battlefield. We're going to talk a little bit more later. But listen, uh, make sure you stick in for that. But I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. The first thing you need to do is to get your heart and your mind right with God. Get your life right with Him. You will never get victory apart from the power of God working in you and through you, guaranteed. The second thing is is that there are some things, and depending on what your addiction is, uh, that you need professional help for. And we have resources that we can provide you so that you can get the professional help that you need. And thirdly, no, no person can break addiction al- alone. Nobody can. Nobody can break addiction alone. You have to have people. This is why we have life groups. This is why we have things like Crossing Sozo where you can get connected to that. This is why we have these things. That's why this is what confuses me. Let me just get on my soapbox real quick. This is what confuses me. We have people that sign up for life groups and say, man, I want to be a part of something that's going to encourage me, challenge me, draw me deeper in my faith. And then they don't show up. And then they say things like, well, I had homework Sunday night. No, you had homework Friday when you left school. You had all weekend to do your homework, but you waited to do your homework from 430 to 545 on a stinking Sunday afternoon when you could be at a place growing deeper in your walk with God and getting the encouragement and the challenge and all the things that you need so you can go to the next level in your faith. But but you you chose to not stick through with the commitment that you made by signing up. All right, I'm off of it, but I'm just saying. We don't tell you that because we want to get up in your grill. We tell you that because we care about you and love you and know what it takes to make it as a young person in the faith and how the accountability that you need and the community that you need. And every person who's attending life groups and connected and really trying to get something out of it, man, they're, they're, they're growing and stuff is going to happen in their life this semester and this year. I guarantee it. We hold, on, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. But I gotta work. You do. Well, listen, there are six other nights, during, five other nights during the week that you can work. And if your boss doesn't want you to keep scheduling you on nights when you shouldn't be scheduled, that's fine. Just quit. You can find another job flipping burgers somewhere else. Like it's not that big of a deal. All right, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm done. I apologize.
1: <laughs> do, do you think? Do you think that people should go to life groups? Do I do, no. <laughs> <laughs> when a Sorry, baby when I a apologize. baby die,
0: when a baby dies, does it go to heaven or when hell? When a baby dies, does it go to heaven or hell? That's a great question. <laughs> people say, shh, I want to hear the answer to this. Yeah. When a baby dies, does it go to heaven or hell? Well the first the first thing, let me let me let me say it like this. The first thing I want to say is this is that um, nobody knows who goes to heaven and who goes to hell except for God because God is the one who is the gatekeeper for that. And so even when someone dies and we go to a funeral, none of us know the eternal destination of any person. We don't know if they're faking it. We don't know if they really had a relationship with God, any of that kind of stuff. So so that's number one. Number two, I would say that I personally believe that any baby that dies goes to heaven. That's my personal belief. And my scriptural backing for that is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when, um, uh, right before, it might be 1 Samuel. I get my verses mixed up. It's 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel chapter 12. David sends with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. The baby dies. And when the baby dies, David is holding the baby. And David says, I will go to be with you in paradise. And what we know is every time paradise or anything stuff is mentioned within Scripture, it's talking about heaven. And so David is making a statement in this moment of grief that one day I will die and I will go be with you. Now, uh, we call that in the theological world, the age of accountability, you know, whatever, what is, I don't have a clue, like, I don't know, like, don't, I'm, don't ask me to play God on that kind of stuff. All I'm saying is that's what I believe, um, and, uh, and, and I would say that there are Christian theologians uh, that are smarter than me that agree with me, and there are Christian theologians that are smarter than me that disagree with me, but that is where I land on that particular issue,
1: What happens to Christians who commit suicide? What
0: happens to Christians who commit suicide? Well, this is a dangerous question. Um, The first thing I would say is is that suicide is one of the most selfish things anybody could ever consider doing. I have done funerals for students who have committed suicide. I have went to a a house of a student, 8 o'clock in the morning. He found his mother in the bedroom. She had shot herself in the head. I'm in the house before any of the EMS people or any of that get there to take her body out of the house. And I've seen the devastation that is left in the wake of people who get selfish and think that their life's not worth living because they're not just living their life for themselves. There are people around them that deeply care about them and love them. And if you don't ever think that anybody cares about you or loves you, then go to a funeral of someone who's committed suicide and see how many people are there in the pain, in the questions, and the unanswered stuff that's going on in those situations. It's awful. And so I would say this, that nothing is ever too bad to want to take your life. Never. And let's just say you're 18 years old. Life expectancy is 78. You got 60 years of your life. You are like a fourth of the way through. 60 years, you don't even know how to conceptualize 60 years. You're 18. 60 more years. As crappy as the situation you're going to be in right now, let me tell you. 10 years from now, you're not even going to remember high school. I'm 33 years old. I I couldn't even name you like probably more than 10 people if you showed me their picture right now from people I went to high school with. You say, well, that's crazy. You think it's crazy because you're in it right now. But I went to college and I met new people. And now I live in a new state and I have new friends and new people. Like, life goes on. This is not the end all, so don't do something stupid. The second thing I would say is this, is that I believe that there are people who are, who, I think that anybody who commits suicide has some mental stuff going on, that they get to a place mentally, emotionally, some of that stuff where, like, they just, it just, it just comes undone for them. You know what I'm saying? And so when it's like, when you say, is a Christian, I would say, here's two questions. The first question I would say is, if you're a Christian, why would you allow yourself to get to that place in the sense of if you have a life group in a community and people like that? But the second thing I would say is if you do get to that place, and I do think that there are Christians who commit suicide because of mental, emotional stuff going on. And uh, and I do think that if they're under the blood of Jesus, that they are going to heaven. And, uh, and so if they have a relationship with Christ, I do believe that. And I do pe- believe that people do stupid things out of their, you know, not thinking clearly at times that, uh, that do that. Now, when I was growing up, I had a friend tell me one time that, you know, Hey man, if you commit suicide, you automatically go to hell. And, uh, and that's just not anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't say that anywhere. And, uh, so that's, that's just, I don't really know where that came from, but if it helps you <laughs> to believe that, then by all means you need to believe that. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, cause that'll scare you from doing something stupid. Um, But if you have some issues, get some help. That's what I'd say. If you have issues, get help. Get the help you need. Get the love and support you need. And that's why we're here. We want to help you. All right? Uh, Man, uh, one more? Y'all good for one more? I mean, we can be done. I'm fine with being done. One more? All right, cool. One more. One more. Will you address what the
1: Bible says about divorce? Because so many people do it, but we're still all taught that it's not okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, actually, on that topic, uh, something just very, just really cool um, is that there was a recent study that just came out um, talking about how, um, you know, for years people had said, well, the divorce rates in the church are the same as those outside of the church, and divorce rates in this, and da-da-da, and the infidelity and all this kind of stuff. And it, and, and truthfully, uh, new studies have come out and just said that's just completely wrong, uh, that actually the divorce rate in the church is like, you know, a third, a fourth of what it is in church the actual everyone else the second thing is is that uh, a lot of people who are um, a lot of people who uh, who are not believers and who do not have a conviction about that kind of stuff you know they're living together anyway right so a lot of them are living together and they're breaking up and all this kind of stuff and so there's no tie when it comes to marriage and all this and so that it's not really you don't really see those numbers of people that break up. But there are studies on that that show that most people that live together break up. The studies are just crazy off the charts. And, of course, it is because you're trying to live a life together being married um, but be able to back out anytime you want to. You know, It's like a prenuptial agreement. Why do people get prenups? They want to organize their divorce before they ever get married. That's crazy. You want to organize your divorce before you ever get married. When I got married to my wife, I said, listen here, I will be with you until I die. I will never leave. I will never leave. If, if you can kill me, like, you can kill me, but I am not going to leave. Like, I will sit on this couch every day. You cannot make me leave. I'm bigger than you. I am not leaving. And I just made that decision. I don't care how bad it gets. I'm never going to leave. Never going to leave my wife. She can leave me, but I will never leave her. Now, she would never leave me because I'm awesome. But... But back to the question. What does the Bible say about it? Let me sum it up in this. God says this. I hate divorce. That's what God says. There is a verse in the Bible where God says, I hate divorce. Divorce is supposed to be for a lifetime. Divorce goes back to the conversation we had last week about how God elevates marriage and sex and all that kind of stuff. Now, Jesus gives biblical grounds for divorce and basically says, you know, hey man, if someone's out running, running around on you and, and you know, uh, sleeping around and, you know, and cheating on you and things like that, there are biblical grounds for divorce, but God hates divorce. And I think that we need to raise up a generation of people who have right-sized what it means, what sex means, and what marriage means so that we can change this stupid, perverted, selfish culture that is ripping apart families. And let me tell you something. You know who suffers? Oh, let me tell you the 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 couple suffers but the kids suffer way more the kids always suffer way more if if you ever want my my wife's parents are divorced she's she's 32 years old my wife still is dealing with that if you if you Ever think about getting a divorce? Just go have a conversation with a couple of your friends whose parents got a divorce and, and see what that d- did to their kids. See what that did to them. It's selfish. You know, divorce is tragic, it breaks up people. In fact, and you can ask these guys because I asked this question uh people come to my office and say hey i'm a parent called and they want to meet with you because our kids gone crazy and they're just you know drinking and smoking crack and all this kind of stuff and they want you to meet with them and blah 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 and they go through this whole thing and i'm like cool man i'll meet with anybody you know like i don't know if they want to meet with me but i'll meet with anybody i'm game like i'm down let's have the conversation but i say this one of the first questions i ask parents hey uh you and your, is, is, uh, are you still with, with his dad? You still with his mom? Did you know that since I've been at 12 stone in three years, I've not had a parent call me and ask me to meet with their son or their daughter in a situation like that. Not one time that I've met with them. And I'm talking, I meet with at least one a week, almost. I haven't met with one that hasn't come from a divorced home. Not one. A family is a big deal all the studies show it you need a mom and a dad and I don't tell you that listen if you don't have a mom and a dad man you need the family of God to be that for you but you need to know that when you have kids one day you need to fight your freaking tail off for your husband or your wife and your marriage because your kids need you guys to be together and you are a picture to your kids of what the church is and Jesus is and the relationship that exists between Christ and the church is what the Bible tells us. It's a pretty big deal. Now, I don't really know if that answers the question the way you wanted it to be, but that's it.
1: Don't do it over uh, Derek.